Welcome back to our study of the pastoral letters, the letters of Paul that are written to Timothy and to Titus. And we invite you to turn in your Bibles as we're going to get into 1 Timothy chapter 1 today. We did a little bit of introduction last time about 1 Timothy. Paul is writing to this, this we say young man often, he's quite uh, up there in years by the time Paul's writing this, uh, at least from what we can tell. And uh, Timothy finds himself in a place called Ephesus. Paul had been to Ephesus. He had helped to establish a community of believers there, but he knew it was going to be tumultuous. He could see on the horizon the trouble because there were groups uh, and interests in that area that would want to uh, knock Christians off course with different gospels and with false teachings and with influences that were not going to be helpful. And, and Paul was very concerned about what was going to happen to the Christians in Ephesus. And so he sends Timothy there to guard against it and then writes this letter to Timothy. And he wrote a couple. Uh, we think there may even be a, a two or three of them, uh, but but at least two that we have. And, and he is going to uh, encourage him. He's going to give him some instruction, and he's going to give instruction for him to give to the people there. Let's do keep this in mind um, we, that... that this is someone else's mail. We are reading a correspondence between two people who are trying to address a problem in a specific place. And we have to take the essence of what is being taught and apply that. And that's what we'll try to do. So let's begin here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 now, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation uh, rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Oh, that's an interesting thing there and something we should really take, take note of. He's saying, I want you to stay there, and the reason I want you to stay there is that you are going to be the anchor. And as the, these people who are a little weaker in their faith and a little newer in their faith are drifting on you, you grab them and you hold them and you charge them not to teach any different doctrine. Okay, now let's go there. Is, is Paul being dogmatic here about doctrine? Well, let's, let's release the word doctrine of its sort of heavy connotation. When we talk about doctrine, I think most people think dogma. We think um, a hard line that you must follow or you won't be uh, part of our group. And certain, you know, certainly people use doctrine in that way. Doctrine is, is simply our, our set of guidelines. It's simply our understanding of the practices of our faith based on the example we find in Scripture and the teachings we find in Scripture. Now, are there doctrines which are bad? Certainly. Uh, are there doctrines which have been perverted and corrupted? Yeah, yeah, we see that. We've got to be careful about, about what we do with doctrine. Uh, our, and we need to make sure the source of our doctrine is from the right place. I certainly am someone who follows a particular doctrine. Uh, but my doctrine, I hope and I strive for, uh, is grounded in the word, in the example and commands of Scripture, and particularly in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to draw, without some additional information, a doctrine out of things like, well, 1 Timothy, for instance. We're going to see some things that are taught 
to Timothy and instructed to Timothy to do in the church in Ephesus. Now, do I take that and make that my doctrine and hold other people to that? I don't think I have the right to do that based solely on 1 Timothy because Paul's writing to someone about a specific circumstance. Now, if I corroborate that elsewhere, if I find that teaching to be um, shaped through the words of Christ, then I will hold on to it. Um, now, for instance, I believe in the doctrine of baptism. I believe that immersion in water for the remission of sins is the means by which we come into a covenant relationship with Jesus. We are saved by faith. Uh, we are saved by grace. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. We don't deserve it. But we receive it in baptism. That that is, I see, taught and commanded and as an example told throughout the New Testament, including Jesus. So I have a doctrine on baptism, and I believe it, and I teach it to others, um, and, and I, that one is kind of a non-negotiable with me. But that doctrine is not a weapon. If you tell me you're a believer, you're not baptized, but you believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to accept you as a believer on your word because the Bible doesn't give me the right to tell you that you're not. Uh, that's only God's right to make that determination, and I will accept you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So how, what doctrine is and how we use it is really important. Uh, it's not something that we just build on a set of rules and we beat people over the head with, and that's not what Paul is talking about here either. You know, a lot of people have weaponized this verse to defend their own particular uh, brand of Christianity and say, well, we've got it right and we've got it figured out because we're following the book exactly. And Paul says, don't teach any different doctrine. Therefore, they're justified in going out and naming names and attacking other Christians who teach something differently. Now, might those other people be wrong and they be right or vice versa? Sure, there's objective truth and, and, and all of that at some, somewhere in the argument. But do you have the right to beat people over the head with your doctrine? No. And that requires a certain degree of arrogance to think you've got it all figured out. Tim, Paul is not telling Timothy that you have to be um, overbearing about defending a particular doctrine against anything and certainly these words do not apply in 2022 to Christians who are finding themselves at odds or differing over matters of scripture okay Paul's not talking to you he's not telling you you need to go out and call out those you know whatever denomination is is across town because of what they're teaching he's telling Timothy don't let people bring a different gospel in to what we've already established. So we need to keep it with Timothy. We need to keep it in Ephesus. Are there times when we're going to have disagreements and we're going to need to stand up for something that we think might be um, not in accordance with Scripture? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If someone comes along teaching something besides Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ the Son of God, yeah. Um, and, and there have been things like that. There have been movements like that. Um, we, we see that today um, in different areas where people are trying to champion social or political causes uh, within the, the parameters of the Christian faith. And so they're taking God and they're applying their own ideas to him and forming religious groups around that to support different political or, or social causes. And that needs to, that needs to be stopped. That needs to be... Uh, fought a little bit, not, you know, in the right way, 
but we don't want that to lead people astray. And that's exactly what's happening in Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to be steadfast in your opposition to doctrines which oppose Jesus Christ. All right? So let's not take that verse and put it on as a, as a badge, as though we've been deputized to now police the doctrine of Christianity. No, that is an instruction to Timothy to make sure that the people he's working with do not allow perverted and corrupted uh, false doctrines and gospels to be accepted amongst Christians and to break them apart, divide them, and lead them astray. There is a time to fight, and there is a time to argue, and there is a time to stand up. Uh, but Paul's not giving us that instruction here in 1 Timothy. Okay? Um, and he even elaborates a little what he means by different doctrine. We're talking about myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship. Ah, so we don't want speculation. We want to be focused on stewardship. We want to be focused on the good work of God, the stewardship from God that is by faith, not speculations, not de de uh, deconstructing sort of ideas about faith and genealogies. These people are sowing doubt. They're sowing doubt um, with their perversion of, of Scripture and perversion of the Word um, and perversion of Christ. The aim, verse 5, of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. Wow. Paul just lays it right there. Hey, here's the most important thing we do. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things which they, uh, uh, about which they make confident assertions. Uh, this is really interesting because oftentimes uh, the people that will use that earlier part of the verse about, um, about not allowing different doctrines to be taught, the people that will use that as their personal deputization to go and police the faith um, are, the it seems, the ones that are described by these last few verses. Uh, here these people are, oh, well, Paul says, you know, we got to go and we're not going to let any different doctrines out there. Don't be doing anything different than what we have said. And what happens? Um, they desire to be teachers of the law. They desire to be uh, biblical lawyers. And they don't really understand what they're talking about. When people start, you know, talking about doctrine uh, and the Bible, it's very clear sometimes they haven't read much of it. Uh, and so we have to be cautious. We have to really look at the mirror a little bit and make sure that we're not um, being ignorant in our in our uh, steadfastness, and that we are seeking after the right thing: love from a pure heart, a clean conscience sincere faith that's what we're after that's what we should pursue yeah we want to get some things right about what the bible says we want to please god and obey him but we don't want to make our life's mission to make sure that every christian agrees with us on every issue no we want love from a pure heart a good conscience a sincere faith and we're not going to get into vain discussion and we're not going to become teachers of the law, and we certainly don't want to be ignorant. Verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
For those who strike their fathers and mothers for murders, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And there's that word again, sound doctrine. And that's a, uh, a buzzword in certain circles in the church because uh, we, we, we want to make sure we're of sound doctrine because Paul uses that word sound doctrine. Well, the question is, how do you define such a thing? Uh, and and it, do you really mean sound doctrine that you have explored and and uh, and discerned from the Word and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or um, is it just whatever it is you believe? We need to be critical of ourselves, I, I myself included. Um, so this paragraph here, he's saying the law is good. There's there's rules, there's guardrails, there's guidelines. Okay, and they are for the people that 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 are living evil, sinful lives. They're there to try and get them back on track and control them. And, and those who would do anything contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. So the law's there to provide some guardrails for evildoers, for sinners, and try to keep them uh, in this, uh, in this you know, confined here. Uh, now, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted, I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul is recounting his own story here, and he's saying, I, I've been strengthened, Jesus strengthened me, and he's been faithful to me even though I did some horrible things to oppose him because I didn't know any better. And Paul confesses this here in these verses. And the grace of God through Christ filled him. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example of, to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, Jesus used me as an example. I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst of offenders uh, in the name of Christ. And he came to save even me and thereby demonstrated his ability to save uh, and, and, and to show to others that ability. To the kings of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love those words of Paul. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, uh, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right. And we're going to deal with this as we close chapter 1 here. 1 Timothy in particular, and especially these first few verse, few chapters, has a real combative tone. This is arm yourself for the fight. Put on the armor. Get ready to do spiritual battle. Contend for the faith. Defend the truth. You know, all of those things. We have to be careful that we don't take that tone out of context and empower ourselves to do harm to other Christians. Um, we need to understand the context historically. We need to understand the purpose historically. And we need to be cautious that we understand we're not fighting the same battle today. 
the church across town that does things differently than you is not the one you're going to spiritual warfare with. Yes, you have some disagreements. Maybe even they're wrong and you're right or what have you. And maybe there's a conversation to be had so that perhaps greater unity can be established. But you are not deputized, authorized, or armed to go and fight other people who claim Jesus Christ if they truly and sincerely claim Jesus Christ. You act in love, with a good conscience, and with a sincere faith. That's your goal. The rest of the discussion, you can hash some things out. But the battle that Paul's talking about is against blasphemers and sinners. It's against people who pervert the gospel, who change the essence of the gospel for their own gain. Who are trying to lead people astray for their own gain. They're trying to undo the church by changing the nature of Jesus Christ in the story. By offering a different story, a different gospel. By taking advantage of people. By harming people. We have to understand what Paul's talking about and why he has this tone of arming yourself for the fight to wage the good warfare. The reason is because innocent people are being led astray. They're being taken out of the hand of God into sin because of the evil influences in Ephesus, those who would teach against the divinity of Christ, those who would teach against Christ as the only path to God, those who would teach a different story, a different gospel, or who would include certain things uh, as a part of their gospel that were uh, of, a, of a sexually immoral nature. That's why that's talked about quite a bit. There was a heavy influence of people who would uh, incorporate sexual activity and sexual immorality into their worship and say that this was acceptable and pleasing to God. Absolutely untrue. There is a time for a spiritual battle, for warfare, but you should know thine enemy. And the enemy is this world. The enemy are the forces of Satan. The enemy is not the Christian who is sincerely trying to practice their faith and come to different conclusions than you. Are there times for those conversations? Yeah. Uh, are they the battle and the warfare that we're called to fight? No. And is that in keeping with the context and understanding of Timothy? Absolutely not. So that's chapter one. We've set up here. Paul's established a couple things. We got problems in Ephesus. You got to stick around and, and be ready to fight these problems and understand that Jesus is full of grace and mercy because he's shown it to me, Paul says. And so because of that, we have a job to do. I'm not going to disregard the sacrifice that Christ made for me. I'm going to allow it to motivate me and empower me. That's chapter one. We'll see you next time for chapter two.